Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Belonging. Becca Piastrelli here. How are you doing today? How's your body? How's your spirit? Hmm. I'm so honored, really, to bring a conversation with Asia Suler to you today. Asia is quite a brilliant herbalist. She's a writer, teacher, mystic, and herbalist who lives in the folds of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. And she's the creator and concoctress, great word, of One Willow Apothecaries, an Appalachian-grown company that offers lovingly handcrafted medicines and alchemical gateways of education. So I first discovered Asia on Instagram, and then we found we had many friends in common and As I've been doing pilgrimage to ancestral lands over the past few years, so has she. And uh, I just really love her perspective on the more than human world and how we can connect to the earth and how it shows us our inherent goodness and the ways it can bring and evoke self-compassion in these times. I think she's a really powerful teacher. And um, I'm so excited to be able to talk to her a little bit like, ooh, this is fun. And um, we really dive into it. She shares her story of basically growing up like how I did in suburbia on Nickelodeon boxed mac and cheese and um, really having a health crisis, a pretty bad pain in her body that took her to the wild, to a place where she could feel seen because she felt so invisible in her body and helping us to get started. Those of us who want to feel deep earth connection, want to work with the plants, but just sort of feel overwhelmed or like we don't know what we're doing or even scared. She shares how she got started very honestly and how we can as well. And I think I bring up this concept of the Western mind versus the ancestral mind. I think that's so important to remember is maybe we're approaching things too linearly because the plant world exists in a different space than the book, the linear book mind space. We go deep on reciprocity, including the ways we express it to the land and the living world. This concept of animism, that a tree is alive, a stone is alive, that a leaf is a being, and how sometimes we can feel really silly (laughs) diving into that. And she has this beautiful reframe on silliness and feeling silly feeling judged and taking that judgment and alchemizing it into an invitation to go deeper and really be in the truth of our experience with the living world, with the more than human world, with the wild. And then she gets vulnerable and shares her process with belonging to herself and how that's really an edge she's walking and 
my edge right now is belonging in community. So it's a beautiful conversation we weave. I'd love to hear how it goes for you. Share on both of our Instagrams, Asia Suler, Becca Piastrelli. Yeah, I'd love to know how this conversation lands for you, wherever you are in the world and whatever season it is in this moment, whatever plants or stones or patches of earth call to you. So enjoy this conversation with Asia Suler. Well, Asia, thank you for joining me on Belonging, chatting with me about all things nature and earth connection. I'm just so excited to hear from you and get your wisdom. And a question I sometimes ask, not always, that I want to expand a little bit with you just to just to start us off is who are your people and or what do you belong to? And there's no wrong answer. Wow, Becca, such a good question. Well, the first thing that comes to mind at this point in my life when someone asks me who my people are are to talk about my literal ancestors so my people come from europe i come from celtic peoples in ireland and england and also germanic peoples around the border between germany and france and then i also have heritage in Baltic and Slavic traditions, both in Poland and Lithuania. So I've been doing a lot of work with my ancestors over the past handful of years, and it it feels really good at this point to call them in as my people. And, And I didn't always connect to my literal ancestors. And the, the, the way I really started connecting to people beyond the those just in my immediate community was through connecting with the earth and connecting with the ecologies that I was a part of. And so my people would also include the places that I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, places where I was educated in the, the Hudson Valley in New York. And then of course, the people of these mountains where I live now in Western North Carolina and the Blue Ridge Mountains, the ancestral homes of the Cherokee. When I first moved to these mountains, it felt like coming home. And I really consider the the stones and the trees and the creeks here my people in a very true sense. So if I were to name sort of the constellation or the lineages that I'm a part of, it would have to be the, the land and my actual blood ancestors. And I think that ultimately these are also the places that I belong. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. I've actually seen you've been making some pilgrimages to your ancestral homelands over the past few years. Yeah. I think we have a mutual friend, Sylvia Lindstedt, who's also been on this podcast, like joined you yeah. And Scotland, was it? Or Wales? Yeah. So, so far I've been to England, Scotland, and Ireland. And there yeah. are plans right now for the last leg of the trip, which would be Germany, Poland, and Lithuania. And yeah, it just so happened, Sylvia is a good friend of mine. And it just so happened that she was in those countries when I was going to be there. And so it was this beautiful confluence and adventure that we got to go on at least for part of the trip. I was there for about a month each time and it's been an incredible experience. It it was uh, it was kind of a a soul dictate that I needed to go to these places that my family was from and um, especially before I started my own family. And so Mm -hmm. I've been following that dictate and visiting those lands and I, you know, I expected it to feel profound, but I really had no idea how much it would move me and how much it would come to shape my life. I know what you mean. I've been spending the last three years, a trip a year, basically. I'm actually, I was supposed to be in Glastonbury, England right now, but there were different plans afoot. But I I just remembered, so I was in Scotland last summer solstice and uh, 
I don't know about you. I'd love to hear your perspective since we've both really made pilgrimage a priority. Is I found the deepest, most powerful experiences for me wouldn't happen on in like a a big castle or like a famous place. It was like Tim and I, Tim is my partner. We we went like bog trekking and I saw bog cotton for the first time. And then I saw these mushrooms growing out of like a, a cow patty, but like these cows are so beautiful there. These Highland cows were in the, um, the Hebrides, the Isle of Skye. And then I we went wild swimming in like a a lock-in where just around us were sheep. And I put my body in the waters and I was feeling the bog cotton on my skin and I just felt like transformed, healed, coming home, magical, like all these words that I thought I'd feel like, um, I, yeah, it, I don't know, in a castle or some sort of like at the Blarney stone or something like that, where it was just this moment where there was just me in the land. And it just felt like a shot of life went through my veins and a remembering and a and a sadness and a joy and an ecstasy. It just felt so profound to me. Yeah, I really know what you mean with that. The, the places that I thought I would have these profound experiences at were almost never the places where it actually happened. It really, that that, that sense of kind of having the, the bottom drop out and having time dissolve and really feeling that mythic connection to the land and to the ancestors, it nearly always happened for me when I was in a place I never sometimes even expected that I would be. Places that came up <laughs> randomly that weren't on the itinerary. Yeah. I too was really moved by the the sheep dung um, and the cow patties and yeah. <laughs> just sort of the, the life as it was lived and the, the way that these ecologies are functioning and the the recognition that like this was one of my my motives in going on these trips was to really explore my indigenousness you know where where i my body is from where my blood is from the the way my body is formed is in direct response to those lands and i wanted mm. to feel what that felt like to bring my body to those places and it was amazing to be in these landscapes and just feel the way my body was within them and to recognize that there there was this deep sense of belonging and you know it went beneath the words and it went beneath my ability to identify whatever it was certain plants or minerals it was just this like innate literal bone deep sensation of belonging mm -hmm. in those places and you know even on a very tangible level being in Ireland and having there be you know misty rain and being in <laughs> England and having there be cloudy days, I'm like, I understand why I'm so pale and yes. <laughs> why I have such light colored eyes. And, you know, I have this frizzy curly hair that like really only shines when it's humid out and mm. there's like moisture in the air. And I'm like, this all makes sense now. And so, yeah, it was just the experience of being with the land itself was such a privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember I've seen so many nettle patches in my life, but I remember seeing my first nettle patch in Ireland and um, just like I had just learned from my herb teacher, Liz Milliarelli of Sister Spinster, about how Irish sailors used to like sail in from the sea, strip off all their clothes and roll in a nettle patch to help with arthritis. And I was looking at this like very thick, vibrant nettle patch, which I, I don't see them like that here in Northern California. And like imagining these sailors <laughs> rolling in it. And I just start crying. Just like, wow, wow. And nettles are everywhere, you know? And I just, yeah, it's a really, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to connect in that way. And yes, a privilege for sure. Yeah. I remember seeing the nettles in Ireland too and being like, this is where they belong. <laughs> Yeah. Not that they don't belong elsewhere, but I, was, I had never seen them that lush before, ever. I know here in Appalachia, it was it was a wonder. Right, like I could finally understand the um, nettle fiber because the stalks were so thick, 
They just don't get that thick here, you know, and I've watched all these videos of these folks who can really dry out the stock and make the fiber to make, you know, clothes with or anything. And I just saw it. I was like, oh, right. (laughs) My ancestors made fiber with that. Cool. Cool. So I'm just tuning into the listeners right now who might be into what we're saying. And I'm really thinking about those who are into what we're saying, but also might feel like it's really foreign or far away. I find that when I talk about plants or I talk about earth connection, there sometimes can be this, it can be met with feelings of like shame or like almost like um, if you haven't been brought up with the grandmothers, you know, showing you how to garden with the herbs or make the medicines, like you just grew up in suburbia watching Nickelodeon, eating box mac and cheese, which I did, you know, like. I absolutely did too. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Can you say more about that? Because I think there's there's some intimidation that comes in. What I love about the way you teach and the way you share, is it feels very accessible. And I don't always feel that way, you know, because it, it's for everyone, the earth and earth connection and plants are for everyone. So yeah, I'd love to know whatever you want to share, your story and how, how it, it began and how we can begin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I grew up in a development of duplexes in a very suburban environment. And, you know, we we had our backyard and sort of the common ground between the backyards. But, you know, being intimate with nature wasn't really a part of my childhood experience. I did not grow up having, you know, grandmothers teach me about, you know, how to communicate with the plants or work with herbal medicine and everything really changed for me when I was in college and I developed a chronic pain condition called vulvodynia. So vulvodynia is pain that is generally focused in the vulva and the pelvic bowl. And I often say that, yeah, it was terrible. (laughs) And I often say that the, the world inside my body was so painful that I had to go out. And really this, this pain was pushing me to, into the arms of the natural world. And I think that this is a, it's a common story for a lot of people that they get to a point in their life where they're dealing with a lot of hardship um, or something really painful or processing trauma. And they start connecting with the natural world. They start going out to nature because it's one of the only places where they feel seen and where there's solace. And I know for me dealing with chronic pain not only dealing with that, but dealing with it in an area of my body that we're kind of expressly told not to talk about, I felt really invisible. And when I went out to the woods in between classes and on the weekends, it was one of the only times where I felt like I could be my full, true self. I could be the good student that I was and the positive thinker that I was. And I could also be someone that was really hurting and really confused and really lost and dealing with a lot of anguish. And I really started to feel that it wasn't just me and my own little self-reflective bubble, but that I was really being reached out to by the natural world. The trees that I would visit, the creeks I would sit by, I could feel not only that they were a bomb to me, but that when I would approach them or sit with them, I could feel this reciprocal energy happening, that there was actually an exchange. And this for me is really where my whole journey of connecting to the natural world began. So I I ended up going to school to study traditional Western herbalism at the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine here in Appalachia. Mm -hmm. But before that, I really started connecting with plants just from this place of deep need and seeking of comfort. And so it was more of a heart-to-heart connection. I knew very few plant names. I, I, I wasn't a scientist or a botanist. I was an English major, but this to me was, was really all I was interested in in a certain way was having this deep connection and, and feeling like there was meaning. I think when, when we are suffering, it's important to be able to search for and seek meaning. And to me, being able to communicate with the natural world and feeling like they actually had a plan the trees and the creeks and the soil and the the deer, they had a plan for how I was going to heal and how the world was going to heal. And if I just spent 
time being with them, that plan would start to become clear to me. And so I, I sought out a lot of different forms of healing. At one point, I was told that my only recourse would be to get surgery to remove nerve endings from my vulva. And I feel really lucky that I had had that time to really witness the world and how the world goes through these cycles of upheaval and healing and, and to say no to that and decide to chart my own course. And I ended up working on a farm in Maui and I ended up then moving to New York City and becoming a plant technician, which means I took care of people's office plants because that was kind of the only job I could find <laughs> or I could still be with the plants. And um, by the time I moved down here to Appalachia to study herbs from this you know, Western herbal perspective, I had healed myself from this chronic pain. And wow. so really when I went to school, that wasn't the beginning. It was the point along the way. And I, I was really interested in learning about how to work with plants for healing. And I remember when I showed up at school, I thought I knew what an herbalist was or what herbalism was. And looking back, I had no idea. Like I, I showed up that first day and I was the only one in class who didn't know what a tincture was, who didn't know how to make mm. loose leaf tea. I mm -hmm. felt like a complete fraud. And, you know, the, my whole time in school felt like I was playing catch up, like everyone else knew more than me, had had this background experiences growing up or, you know, deeper experiences than I did in these realms of healing. And I share this in part because I think a lot of people have those feelings when they start yeah. walking into this world where some people have been practicing herbalism for 40 years and practicing nature connection for longer. And, and at the same time, I knew that I had a relationship to the world that I had developed through those years of chronic pain. And so I always fell back on that, even when I felt like I was never going to get the scientific names, or I was never going to become a successful herbalist, I would fall back on my ability to just hang out with the world and be in relationship and connect. And it, it ended up happening, actually, that I'm one of the few people from that class who ended up as a practicing herbalist and ended up making my livelihood about this relationship with the plants. And so I, you know, I share that just because we never really know. We have all these judgments, right, around ourselves and our capabilities. And we never actually know where life's going to take us or how talented and, and, you know, good and how needed we are in the world. And I think that the, the natural world, they, they, they have this ability to really reflect back to us what we're capable of and how good we truly are. And if we can just keep coming back into that relationship with our kin in the more than human world, then we will be shown that over time. And my journey definitely did evolve. I went from having a products-based business selling things like tinctures and teas and doing health consultations with folks to really bridging out of being a strict herbalist and being someone who teaches people more about nature connection in general, who does consultation with folks about kind of the emotional spiritual journey of being an earthling. And mm -hmm. now most of my work is centered on my online school and my online classes and the, the writing that I put out into the world. And so the, the, the earth has really taken me on a journey and I know that there are many more twists and turns to come. Mm. Thank you for sharing all of that. It really resonates with me. My journey is different to plants and returning, really returning to the earth. That's really what it feels like a returning. And, um, I can totally relate buying my first like herbalism books and like getting introduced to herbalism through Pinterest in like 2010 and and then starting to take classes and then committing to a year-long program and and really struggling with like the brain part of learning western herbalism but my body and my spirit feeling deep knowing and Actually, it was really helpful. Who did I learn this from? Maybe Indigenous Science, Apela, Colorado, the Western mind versus the ancestral mind. 
And this idea that like the Western mind is just so fact oriented. It's so linear. I'm sure you can frame it in different ways, but my Western mind can, you know, do the stuff and things I've been raised in the Western mind. But when I leaned into my ancestral mind, like deep time and like the spiralic nature of the wheel of the year and looking at plants and maybe not knowing the Latin name, but feeling and understanding it, her, whatever, and just sort of trusting that, you know, I I don't need to immediately know the application, but to sit with it, like to bathe with it, to sleep with it, that actually got, has gotten me to a place of comfort as opposed to, is it poisonous? Is it not? Is it bad? Is it good? Do I remember? Am I bad? Am I good? You know, and just to, to settle into relationship. And I'm so glad you bring that up. And I'm so glad you approach your teaching in the way that you do. Because I think a lot of us who are curious about Earth Connection are like, get really excited about those scenes in Outlander when Claire is like, bring me the oil of lavender. <laughs> or like, get really excited about pictures of apothecary jars. You know, like that excitement is within us and like the idea of ancestral ways. But we come with these Western minds that can sort of shut us down. And if we can expand our bodies, our ancestral beings, to meet the plant world humbly, I think there's just more expansiveness there to to be met, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because I think that it's really illustrating sometimes a, I don't know, an argument that goes on within ourselves. I, I know that I kind of had a battle with my Western mind when I first started opening up to this. From a really young age, I internalized the belief that being spiritual was being unintellectual. And mm-hmm. I, I grew up in, in a pretty academic family and environment, and I really wanted to be seen as smart and intelligent and rational. And to me, I, I really internalized this thought that being spiritual, being intuitive, being in you know what you might call the more indigenous mind was to be seen as unintellectual. And so I really stuffed that part of myself away. And I learned how to succeed in a school environment and in an academic environment and in the the Northeastern United States, which kind of is known for, you know, things like it's sarcasm and, and, and yet it was always underneath the surface in, in me. And, you know, it took this sort of traumatic season of my life to bring it out. And there were definitely times where I was like, you know, am I, am I crazy? Is this real? And I feel really lucky that I actually, at the time we had a, a professor named uh, Molly McGlennon come to the college that I was at and start a Native American studies program. And I ended up being one of the first people to graduate with a minor in that program, mostly just because every single class she taught, I absolutely loved. And so while the sort of Western part of my brain was arguing with me, I was also getting this incredible education from this Anishinaabe teacher and professor and writer showing me all these other different Native thinkers and philosophers and me seeing like, okay, I'm not crazy. This is actually just a different way of thinking than I was being handed growing up. And actually this way of thinking to me feels so much truer and realer than anything I've ever experienced before. It feels like coming home. It feels like Hmm. getting the words to, to describe something that I always felt, but didn't know how to express. So I I really resonate when people talk about those sort of two parts of our brains as people who were, you know, raised in in Western culture. And that part of what we're doing is kind of unprogramming ourselves so we can really see what is just a natural bodily, I think, experience of the world. Yes. To recognize the systems we live in are setting us up to feel bad and wrong. (laughs) And that actually, if we don't do it a certain way, and actually like it is a birthright of all, no matter education level, to be at home in the natural world. Yeah, I totally agree. I want to know when you first understood deeply the idea of reciprocity. 
Yeah, I think I began to understand that when I was dealing with chronic pain. And I think it was an intuitive thing. I started bringing gifts out with me into the world, feathers that I found or stones shaped like hearts, pieces of my hair. I started giving these gifts to the trees and the stones that I would visit when I was having a really, really hard time. And it was always amazing to see. It shocked me, honestly, that I I would bring these gifts and then I'd be given something just so magnanimous in return. Like I, Mm. I would then, you know, climb out onto a log and notice that there was a heron sleeping right in front of me. And I, and I'd sit there for 20 minutes and just watch this heron sleep or you know, I'd be, I'd be walking along and minding my own business and there would be, a, you know, a deer just standing in the path looking at me. And it felt like I could really feel this sense that the more I came and, and gave of myself as who I was, just a, a being who's fallible and wondering and worried and all those things but the more I just brought myself and the gifts that I could bring there and sometimes that was just a song or a bit of poetry or you know just the sense of streaming love into the earth the more I'd be given and that what I was given was just it it blew me away and and I really started to awaken and to understand that you know the 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 earth is just giving us constantly everything that we need to survive. We are completely held by this planet. Mm-hmm. And the gifts that I can give back to the earth will never be as magnificent as the earth that I receive. But the gifts that I give are important because it opens up this exchange and this flow. And so I, I knew this intuitively and I felt, I felt that intuitively. And also obviously, you know, being exposed to, a lot of different indigenous belief systems and systems of working with the land, I I understood that this concept that humans just destroyed the planet, period, just wasn't true when you started looking at traditional land-based and indigenous cultures. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to see some of these examples kind of through the, the writing and through my own actions. And then I think when I was in herbal school and then I was learning more about how to actually wildcraft or to grow things in a way that created more diversity, that created more abundance, how to, you know, increase the stand of a given herb because you were actually subdividing the root and planting it out. It really helped me to see on a very tangible level that humans can truly create more abundance in the world and that the more gifts we're given, the more we can give back. And this whole idea that, you know, humans either don't give back or are meant to just receive is just inaccurate and that it is this, this balance or this exchange. So, yeah, I would say that I, I first understood on a spiritual level when I was dealing with chronic pain, but then when I started studying actually how to physically interact with plants, I saw that it was very real and true that we could pass the gift on. Hmm. Do you have any practices either like at certain times of year or with your garden of reciprocity? I know uh, my friend Erin Duffy Oswald, who teaches moon gardening, always offers the first harvest of her garden to the land. And so I'm wondering if you have any special ones. They might be secret, but if there's anyone you wanted to share with us. Yeah, well, there's definitely a couple different things that I do. I have a, I love collecting pieces of quartz. There's a lot of quartz around here. And I've also mm-hmm. made pilgrimages to places in the country that there's clear quartz pockets. And I love putting pieces of quartz and stones into the garden as gifts. Literally, the stones and minerals are to plants what plants are to us. They feed the plants. And so mm. I love giving back in that way. And with clear quartz in particular, one of my backgrounds comes from studying Tao stone medicine. And 
you know, clear quartz in traditional Taoist medicine was considered to be a stone that can capture energies and like amplify them. And we see this in our technology. This is why quartz is used in our phones and our computers because of their ability to store information. So I would take a piece of quartz. I like to take a piece of quartz and actually like program, quote unquote, my gratitude and love into that stone and, and push it into the ground. And mm-hmm. if you've never put a stone back into the ground, it feels so good. I cannot even describe it, yeah. but the sensation of pushing <laughs> that stone underneath the soil and into the earth, it's just so fulfilling on a bodily level. So I do that with my garden and I also love to give back with my menstrual blood. Um, I've been collecting yeah. my blood for many years now and the plants love it. It's, it's so nutritive for them, but it feels like just such a beautiful way to give what I can of myself to help my garden grow. And I also like to just sit out whenever I have a free moment and just sort of relish in the beauty like to tell the flowers how beautiful they are and to mm. verbally thank the tomatoes. I think that that vocalization of the awe and the gratitude that we feel actually goes a long way and can really be felt by the garden. Mm. And I, I can't say exactly how that works, but just that I can really feel that my gratitude is being received. And when I vocalize it, it's almost like it makes it that much more potent. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I um I like to sing. I like to sing to the plants. Some days I get a little shy, but the days I really go for it, feels like it's received. <laughs> feels good in my body. I'm so glad you mentioned menstrual blood. I too have had that practice though. I haven't bled in a while now. I miss that. I miss <laughs> that ritual of monthly bleeding and giving it back to the earth. And I'm sure you've heard of that. Is it Hopi prophecy or Cree that when every woman or every bleeding being gives their blood back to the earth, all wars shall cease? I have not heard that, but I absolutely love that. I'm so sorry. I don't know the origin. We will put that in the show notes with the correct origin. Yeah. When I heard that, my whole body shivered with knowing. And the woman who was sharing it started crying. Do you dilute your blood when you? I do. So I use, water. I use reusable pads, cloth pads. And yeah. so when I, I soak them, it's already in water. And yeah. then I just give that water to the earth or to my houseplants. Yes. Yeah. I use sea sponges. So you just like squeeze them into a jar of water and I give that to the plants. Okay. Well, moving on from menstrual blood, thank you for going there with me. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Always. Yeah, let's do it. I'd love to talk about this concept of the living world, also known as animism, because I find that idea that the earth is alive and that like even a house has a spirit or an energy to it and that a tree is it's a being right it's a relative in this indigenous language um brings us into a deeper place of relationship and um i find that sometimes when i talk about it i am made to feel silly about it or like it can feel like a really radical thing to say in this world <laughs> And I remember when I was introduced to it, it just it was one of those indigenous things you're talking about where it just felt so right and so true. So I wonder if you had anything to share around coming into an understanding of the earth being living and do you ever feel silly? <laughs> Any about that? Yeah. So I actually have a, I, I talk about this a lot and the, the sense of feeling silly and how important it is. Oh, great when you feel that way. So silliness serves an important function, especially in the development of our brains. So as children, when we are in environments where we can really explore, we gravitate towards silliness. And what silliness really is, is we recognize what the general consensus is of 
how reality works, how culture works, how our family works, and then we turn it on its head. So we put a boot on our literal head, or we you know, dress up in our mom's clothes. We do things that purposefully turn the expected order over. And to us, this is really funny, right? It's really silly, but it's children's way of playing with the constructs of the reality that they've been handed. So as an adult, when you feel silly, reapproaching these concepts, that's important because it's actually a signal that you are questioning the tenets of reality that you've been handed and that you're starting to play with these concepts that seem to be set in stone, but actually aren't. So that silliness is an indicator that you are actually starting to break out of this mold. You're starting to think beyond what the structures are that we've been handed. And this is essential for this time in our world. Clearly the, the mindset that we've been in doesn't work. You know, if, if it worked, we wouldn't be destroying our environment. We wouldn't be so plagued by, you know, depression, anxiety, unhappiness, feelings of being unworthy, so your silliness is sacred. That sense of being silly is so important. And it makes sense because so many of us were indoctrinated to, to see the world as animate and inanimate. Most of us in the Western world were. And so you're going to feel silly because you are breaking the bonds of this belief system. And I, I really <laughs> remind myself that the world is not that serious. The living world, the the earth, is actually incredibly playful and has an, a really wonderful sense of humor. And so if I can just embrace that silliness and actually like take it up with a sense of humor about myself, about my process of, you know, sort of feeling very like fumbling and awkward, then the whole journey can become that much easier and instead of feeling shame around feeling silly, I can sort of have um, a little bit of humor around it, which to me just makes everything go that much easier. So that is what I would definitely say to folks who are feeling that way. I know I felt that way big time. I remember I would be so, I used to be so embarrassed if anyone saw me like hugging a tree or <laughs> talking to a river. Yeah, I would be singing to a flower. <laughs> oh my gosh, so, that would have been so embarrassing to me. And now, one of the things I've really realized is that so many people, so many more people than we realize are actually on this page, or they're wanting to be invited. And so now when someone stumbles across me hugging a tree or yeah, singing to a flower, instead of immediately assuming that they are judging me and that they think that I'm crazy... I try to actually immediately assume that there's a part of them that wants that permission to. And so when mm -hmm. I can just sort of st stand in that moment and have a sense of humor about myself too, you know, like maybe laugh or something if they come across me and smile, but to not shrink back as much as I can, because I forgive myself too when this does happen, but to try not to shrink back into feeling like I I've done something shameful or wrong, but instead just sort of dilate and expand a little bit more, even if it's just energetically to kind of invite them into that experience with me. And it's amazing how many people are actually just curious and they, they want someone to invite them in. They, they want it to feel friendly instead of something that is yet another example of us versus them. And I've seen this with my extended family my extended family is very different than my nuclear family, um, just different political beliefs, different ways of living their lives. And when I first started in this, this world, I thought that they would not connect to it, would not be interested in what I was doing, that I'd have to kind of like hide what it is that I was doing. But I have been so shocked over and over again, the more that I just share honestly about what I'm doing or saying, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, talk to the flowers now before whatever it is, I mulch them in, that they're actually really receptive to it. And they're curious and they want to ask questions. It's just that they haven't 
had someone yet kind of invite them in instead of assume that they would judge or not understand. Mm. Right. Right. And sometimes judgment is just like that first sort of armor. And if you can just trust that we just go a little past the armor, it's actually warm inside and curious and wanting to feel invited into a different experience of life. Thank you for that. Yeah. And of course that, that first judgment is always the judgment we have with ourselves. And so to know when that comes up, it's good because then you get to see it and you get to work with it and you get to speak to the part of yourself that's underneath the judgment that is curious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have one final curiosity with you and that is, is there any aspect of belonging right now? So I sort of break belonging into four areas for myself. It's just something I can work within a framework, belonging to the land, belonging to our ancestors, belonging in community and belonging to ourselves. And so I'm always sort of working one aspect of that. I think right now, we're recording this at a time when we're sheltering in place. Belonging in community seems to be really up for me where I'm just like the loneliness and the isolation, like the abandoned little girl is really coming out and being like, ouchie, I need hugs and attention. I'm wondering if there's anything you're working on right now in yourself and maybe working isn't the right word, tending to, whether it's from a framework of belonging or repairing or healing? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you said earlier that you were supposed to be in the Chalice Gardens right now because I was actually supposed to be on this pilgrimage trip. What? Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was. Right now I'd be crossing the border from Poland into Lithuania oh. as the, the time that we're recording this. And it's been wow. really fascinating to me. At first it was it was just, you know, it was hard and disappointing to, to let go of this trip and and, and I have high hopes that I will be able to take it another time. But it's been really amazing to see how my this ability to connect to my ancestors isn't dependent on the outer world. It's not dependent on these trips that I take, just like my ability to connect with the natural world isn't dependent on me being in a really pristine environment, that mm-hmm. so much of it does come from within. And I think if I were to sort of highlight which aspect of belonging I've been working on the most or has been up for me the most during this time, I would definitely say belonging to myself. And for me, the way that's shown up as, you know, this moment in time, I am in a shelter in place environment is really honoring what my body needs, what it is asking of me. And in a, probably in a more profound way than I've ever done, truly following the dictates of what myself is desiring. So I, mm. I, I live my life often following a series of shoulds. And some of those shoulds are good and healthy, right? Like I should meditate every day. I, I should exercise. You know, I should finish that book. But lately since all my plans kind of got thrown up in the air and I'm in a place that I didn't even think I would be in right now, which is home, it's, it's really called into focus all these ways in which I kind of ignore what my body actually wants in a given moment, what my psyche actually needs. And I'm, I'm deeply invested in the concept of belonging to oneself and learning how to be a friend to yourself. And all the ways in which I've connected into belonging outside of that, including the community where I live and the earth and my ancestors, it's all leading back to me belonging to the first home, which is my body and my being. And so right now I'm really, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm in a master's program of experimenting with what happens when I really follow those dictates, even when it seems to be contrary to what, I think I should do to, to all the programs that I have around, you know, what it, what it means to be healthy or spiritually connected or productive and just being Mm. super curious about what my body is asking for. And 
and beyond the the benefits that are coming out of that I'm probably resting a lot more than I normally would I'm working a lot less I can feel that just me being willing to listen and you know fo- follow that dictate of like you know I'm I'm actually just going to go sit outside for a while and instead of taking that online yoga class that I'm building so much trust with my body and that that trust is where the belonging really begins to settle. Mm. I feel that. I feel the truth of that so much in really listening to that first home and stepping away from from the shoulds <laughs> and the societal sort of programming. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. I'm sure it resonates for so many who are listening. Asia, thank you for your time. And for all that you shared, I feel like we could talk about so many topics. It's it's just such an honor to connect with you and share your magic with the, the audience of belonging. Um, is there anything you want to share about um, where to find you or what you're up to with with these folks? Sure. Yeah, so I'm on social media, Instagram and Facebook under my name, which is Asia Suler. And then I'm also on YouTube as well. And you can find me on my website, which is onewillowapothecaries.com. And really the place where I connect and share with folks the most is my inner circle, which is the newsletter list. And so mm-hmm. every two weeks I send out a letter to the folks on my newsletter list that is really a distillation of the energies and medicines and thoughts and practices that I've been working with and that are really present for me. And so that, that, that inner circle, if you, if you resonate with, you know, what I've been sharing or you want to learn more that that is really the place to connect more deeply with me and um, the place for, for us to get to know each other. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up through a link on my website and I would just really love to see you there. And uh, I also have on my website a, a series of uh, online classes, both short classes and also more in-depth programs. So you could check those out as well. Yes, I can attest to your fantastic email letters and you're a beautiful Instagram follow as well. So I highly, highly recommend that. Asia, thank you again so much for your time. And I hope to um, continue the connection. Thank you so much, Becca. It's really been a privilege and an honor to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.